The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Tuesday morning, August 2nd, 2023. The dust has settled on the Major League Baseball trade deadline. The White Sox lost last night 2 to nothing, even though Jesse Schultz pitched really well. The Chicago White Sox were busy moving a total of seven players before the deadline in five separate trades with Jake Berger and Keenan Middleton moving yesterday. It was a bittersweet moment for Jake Berger as he spoke to White Sox reporters yesterday. Here's what Berger said from MLB.com Scott Merkin on Twitter. Well, you know, I'm just I'm grateful for, for the White Sox and um, the organization for you know, believing in me when I didn't see Mike Lotta. A lot of other people believed in me and the fans believing in me um, coming back from injury. So, um, you know, it's a lot, of, a lot of good memories here. And, you know, it's, um, my son got to see me play in a White Sox jersey first. And, um, you know, so, but on, on the flip side of that, you know, I'm going to Miami and, uh, you know, get to play, uh, make a push for, for the playoffs, and, um, you know, in the wild card hunt. Um, you know, I'm really excited to, you know, play my heart out uh, for, for Miami as well. In exchange for Berger, the White Sox added more to their pitching pile, adding left-handed pitcher Jake Eater, who will be joining the Birmingham Barons in A. In total, the White Sox added two catchers and six pitchers to their farm system, areas of big need. But the reason they are needs is the shortcomings of the White Sox front office. And while Rick Hott was busy tearing down the roster he built, now there's the question of what's the plan moving forward. So let's start there. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, how would you grade the work Rick Hahn did prior to the trade deadline? Part of me doesn't want to give him a grade just because it feels like saying he got a B or he got whatever, like a passing grade, like encourages him and encourages the White Sox mm-hmm. to stick with him. Like, it was fine. Like I'll grade it on a fine. Like could have done more. Like Dylan Cease, it seemed like the market was primed to deal him, but when you see like the lack of comparable pitchers moving, 
Like Justin Verlander went and Max Scherzer went, but Steve Cohen paid so much of their freight and got one prospect in return for each, basically, that not really comparable. Jack Flaherty ended up going to the Orioles, and that was for very little. Uh, that was a rental. So in terms of getting the proper package in return for a cease, like there's no evidence that like teams had the appetite to give up that kind of prospect capital for him. So like, I think he could have done more, but if he went to the Dodgers for like another catcher who is far away from the majors and Michael Bush, who's like a 25 year old second baseman who struggled in his first attempt at conquering the majors. Like that would have felt light, you know, even though that would have theoretically been like two top 100 prospects. So like, I think I'm fine with what he did, but it is, uh, you know, it's not exciting because the White Sox are back at where they started back in 2016, 2017 with really nothing to show for it. Yeah, we get to have the Dylan Cease conversation again next year. I don't think him getting moved this offseason is likely just because with free agency, teams could just spend cash. They don't need to spend top prospects. If they weren't willing to spend the top prospects now when there was a clear need, they're probably not going to do it this offseason. So we get to revisit this conversation next season during the trade deadline when there's only a year and a half left of control for Dylan Cease, but there are more examples in recent history of those types of pitchers being moved. Luis Castillo from Cincinnati to Seattle is a prime example and probably probably the outcome the White Sox will have with Dylan Cease next year. I, I think the odds are very low that Dylan Cease pitches for the 2025 Chicago White Sox gym, but it does raise the question of like, what's the plan moving forward for the White Sox after all this activity? And I want to read a quote from Rick Hahn during his press conference after the trade deadline. And these quotes come from Vinnie Duber of CHGO. And Hahn said, quote, We still have many impactful talents in Chicago. Competing for the postseason is viable in 2024. In all candor, sitting here 55 minutes after the deadline, proclaiming this is how we are going to get there in 2024, isn't exactly our mission. The organization is much, much stronger for 2024 and beyond what that looks like at the big league level of 2024. Let's get to the end of the season. You will hear directly what the plan is for the people in charge. End quote. You will hear directly what the plan is for the people in charge. Not you will hear directly from me what the plan is, Jim. What the plan is for the people in charge. And honestly, GMs of non-contending teams after the trade deadline have very little work other than plan for next season. Han did what he does best, which is tear down the roster. Now you need someone to build it up. Han is not that type of GM, clearly. So the White Sox should just fire him now. Tuesday should have been the last time we heard from Rick Han, White Sox GM, Jim. It's hard to disagree. Like I'm trying to think of uh, like a, you know, reason why. And yeah, not really. It's hard to know if that quote is humility or, you know, whether he's chastened or whether that's just false humility. Like if I pretend that I should be fired now or that my job's in jeopardy now, then people be okay. Or at least, you know, like I'll have shown the appropriate amount 
for the poor job I'm doing and maybe earn a little bit of goodwill when I'm still in that job at the end of September. Like that's kind of how I read that just because we can't trust that Jerry Reinsdorf has any interest in making the team better. Like it, just assume that Jerry Reinsdorf has no standards for excellence or even competence and, you know, work backwards from there. That's kind of how I look at it. They can talk about like how disappointed he is and how grumpy he is. And he's a very cranky boy and whatever Kenny Williams says about how, you know, unhappy he is and how it's not pleasant to be around him right now. Uh, frowny face, frowny face. But there's just no evidence that like anything matters in terms of failure. So like just that's kind of how I look at it is uh, what results in him staying? And then what's he what does he accomplish by saying this? And it probably just takes a little bit of heat off him saying like that, you know, I still believe it because that was an unpopular quote when he said that he thought he was still the man for the job because there's no evidence that he is. And certainly everything that's happened since hiring his own manager uh, that has shown no effectiveness and really no relevance to the proceedings. Um, you know, that certainly no points in his favor since he said that. So humility or modesty is one of the ways to go. So I'm just assuming he's chosen that course and yeah, you know, I'll still remain very surprised if anything material changes at the end of the off season. But if you want hope, if you want like a chance that like something will change at the end of the year and, like Rick Hahn's end of season address will also be his farewell address of sorts, uh, then, you know, this would be maybe the start of it, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, he hates when we speculate on his decision-making and what the White Sox are doing. Like, he doesn't like it, but you're opening the door, Rick, with this comment. Like, you are hinting at the fact that it may not be you, or you are publicly admitting it may not be you that ultimately decides what 2024 is about. And he also said in other quotes that there's plenty of time between now and 2024 to decide what that season's going to be about. No, there isn't, dude. <laughs> it's it's August, okay? Mm -hmm. In two months, the regular season will end. You better start preparing because after the postseason, you got some difficult decisions to make with contract options within 10 days of the World Series ending, and then it's November, and then it's the GM meetings, and what are you going to do, slow play this? Or are you going to then, at that moment, decide to tell your paying customers like what the direction is? Like, to tell fans, I need you guys to just wait a couple more months, and then I'll tell you what direction we're going in. Suggest, like, what was the plan going to the trade deadline? Like, what did you want to accomplish? Was it just dumping expiring contracts? Okay, you did that. Mission accomplished. But Jake Berger wasn't an expiring contract. So how did that deal come about? And we'll talk about Jake Eater uh, later in this show as the White Sox add him to their pitching pile. But he did the teardown. He made a lot of moves. He was busy before the deadline. He did not find a deal to move Dylan Cease. But at this moment, I don't think he should be the one to find a deal in moving Dylan Cease. And I just don't really see any reason for keeping him around. Like, logically, the brain says, fire him. Okay, he did his work. He deconstructed the house. <laughs> he demoed the house that he built. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to take the next two months create a search committee, speak with people around the league, 
around baseball and who could be some good candidates to interview. So when October comes around, you get that opportunity, you can move quickly and find the person that you want to hire to take over the baseball organization. That's how the other 29 teams, I assume, would operate, Jim. But to your point, this is the White Sox. This is Jerry Reinsdorf. They're not going to operate like that. And that just adds more fuel to the fire and rage that White Sox fans have right now at the organization. And Han is running out of friends in the media. Like Chris mm-hmm. uh, DeLuca from the Chicago Sun-Times, he wrote a great column about Han's press conference. And Ryan McGuffey and Chuck Garfine on NBC Sports Chicago had sharp criticism at the White Sox front office and saying that it's not fair to those that cover the White Sox and to White Sox fans in what is going on. And that type of criticism, I hope they still have a job after this season uh, as the, the White Sox enter the last year of their television contract with NBC Sports Chicago next year. I still hope they have a job and then they're not fired for providing honest feedback and what has transpired. So that's the cloud hanging over Rick Hahn here who made all these decisions. So for him to come out of this and not have something prepared, Jim, to at least give a glimpse, like if you're going to tell reporters that we plan on competing in 2024, okay, could you have something to back that up? No, we got time. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. We're done with you. You can go. Somebody else come in now. Yeah, I think maybe the one benefit of him taking the stance is that it does make Pedro Grafal's job easier because if he's not fired yet or like, you know, as long as he's in the chair and if, you know, depending on if the White Sox have a change of plans in mind, like basically turns Grafal into a lame duck if Han goes anywhere right now. And if Han says like we are, you know, not planning on contending in 2024, like that turns Grafal into maybe not a lame duck in terms of his employment, but certainly just like, an empty uniform in the clubhouse when like, you know, the players in the clubhouse are saying like, well, we're not playing competing. Like what the hell are you playing for? Like, I right. guess I'm playing for jobs or my next, you know, employer or whatnot. So like, you know, there's, you know, it makes, I imagine it makes Grafal's job harder just trying to keep everybody on the same page and motivated. So maybe that's the one reason for any kind of caginess is just, if you pretend that like, you know, a strong, final two months for Oscar Colas and maybe like a successful audition for a guy like Lenin Sosa or like Michael Kopech having a strong last month and a half. Like if those things can all of a sudden, like here's a piece there is piece there. There's a piece there. Okay. Maybe like there is a way to, if not like push for 2024, at least be in a position to benefit from some more uh, positive breaks or players being ahead of schedule in 2024. So I think that's, you know, one reason I can see for like why, you know, if he does have some plans to set the clock to plan more towards 2025, it probably makes sense to do it. Like when you're trading veterans at the end of the year or, you know, declining options or whatnot, and then being able to have everybody, uh, who you acquire in the off season or everybody show up to spring training with like a better idea of the mission in mind versus just completely mailing it in and really sinking whatever authority or presence Griffal has. Is it bad to say, I don't care? <laughs> no, I mean like that's <laughs> the problem. I mean like the white Sox have given no reason for 
anybody to care about Grafal and just exactly what happens to him. Grafal's done nothing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about this, just you know, his lack of personality. And there's just like, and, and, you know, also with no socks fest, which is like a good place for a manager to talk directly to fans and like, uh, get to know everybody. Like Rick Renteria had a very valuable ice breaking experience, uh, when he took over for Rob Ventura. And then like the following year, when everybody was happy with the effort, despite the losing record, like he had a very positive reception with White Sox fans and, you know, was able to answer some questions directly. So like he was able to bank a lot of goodwill, I think with just how, and the story is written about how he answered those direct questions and those interactions with fans. And so Griffal never had that. Griffal hasn't shown, like, I can't name, I, I can't say one thing about him except what he doesn't know, which is like that he doesn't have, you know, doesn't go, even think about going on the internet and he doesn't uh-huh. have, can't name a favorite band. Like he has no, He's not a human, really. He has, he has not presented himself as a human being, aside from the fact that he seems to have a lovely family. And so that he must, you know, he must have some ability to connect person to person. But like to fans, there's no evidence of that. So like without that, like, yeah, just he seems irrelevant. And with the White Sox just plummeting into this current state on his watch, like no reason to think he's special in this job. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's why, like, if you say you don't care, like that's an honest and, and I think you know, honestly found reaction, not just, you know, nihilism, you know, speaking or cynicism, just like, yeah, what, you know, what do we know about this guy? Like what do White Sox fans, what can White Sox fans say about him that, you know, creates a certain kind of polar magnetism? There is none. So moving forward, we're not going to gaslight our listeners or other White Sox fans that are listening to this episode, uh, like the franchise is currently doing. What do you think the plan is right now for 2024 for the Chicago White Sox? Based on who they acquired, their initial assignments, uh, minor league assignments, and then probably, you know, be able to tell certainly what they do with September and call-ups and whatnot. It seems like 2025 is the goal. Yeah, I agree with that. A lot of, a lot of guys at double A, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, overlap with pitchers and catchers, you know, being the primary target. So like there could be opportunities for trade. Like if guys are working out it, yeah. If they happens to be a positive thing where like all of a sudden we have more arms than spots, like, okay, maybe you can direct some resources elsewhere. Uh, or, you know, if they sign a pitcher to like a multi-year deal and he ends up filling the job pretty well. Um, you know, there are, are opportunities, I think, to rearrange, who they've gotten. And then like, when you look at the middle infield situation too, like Colson Montgomery, Jacob Gonzalez, what happens there if they both arrive on a similar timetable, like there'll be opportunities to work that out. But I think like having one full season is probably the best way to do that. Like, and given that they're a major market and given that they're like, you know, there are no benefits to super tanking two years in a row or fewer benefits to doing that. Like, sure. Like uh-huh. make a mild push towards uh, filling out a full you know, comprehensive roster and see if you can get some, get lucky with some guys being ahead of schedule. But 2025 seems like what they're lining up to do. Yeah, I agree with that. If you have someone come in from the outside and run the White Sox organization, it gives them an opportunity to shed some serious payroll as well for the Chicago White Sox and have a a launching point where you could add significant payroll and still have a player payroll around 150 million in 2025 and be able to add significant pieces. There's just yeah. so many holes yeah. on this roster going into next season. And and the White Sox added a lot of players, but they still have so many questions 
that they need answers for. And they didn't address all the questions before the trade deadline. Uh, there's still the issue at second base. I don't know about Oscar Colas at right field. This is not a very good second impression. The first impression wasn't great. The second impression is not great either. Yeah, his defense has improved, and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, he's a major leaguer defensively. There's no question oh, about and even that. Even then, like he's well, I should say his routes have improved, and like the confidence of his throws has improved. Like he's still making errors when it comes to collecting the ball. But yeah, but you got to fill out a rotation. You got to find some interesting arms. I'm not advocating for them to spend money in the bullpen by any stretch. And you got the whole issue at catcher. And we're going to talk about Jake Berger in a moment after a word from our sponsors, but there's some serious pressure now on like Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn to, I don't know, actually bash. Like it's time. Let's stop talking about potential. It's time to start showcasing that you can be 25, 30 home run guys. And then you have the whole issue on the left side of the infield with Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata. So that's why I don't, yeah, I, I just don't understand where the White Sox or even Rick Hahn, again, saying that it is viable that we could contend in 2024. Just like it's viable for me that after we record this episode, I checked my Mega Millions ticket and I went over a billion dollars, Rick. It's just as viable, <laughs> in my opinion. And I, I'm kind of tired of the White Sox trying to sell false goods right now to fans. White Sox fans are not idiots. They know what is going on. It would just be nice that someone with this, within this organization was just transparent and honest with their paying customers. This is a really poor way of doing business. And that's along the lines of what Ryan McGuffey and Chuck Garfine were saying on the White Sox regional network. We're going to take a quick moment for a word from our sponsors, but when we come back, let's talk about the Jake Berger trade and let's meet some of the new guys the White Sox added before the trade deadline next on the Sox Machine Podcast. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use game time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, Jake Berger was traded to the Miami Marlins. We were doing the live stream on YouTube, which, by the way, for all those that did participate during the live stream, thank you guys. That was by far and away uh, our best live stream as far as viewership. So, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, comments were flowing. Yes, comments were great. A lot of updates, a lot of help. It was great. It was great, yes. So we'll probably stick with that format uh, for future events like this with the trade deadline. Uh, as we mentioned in the live stream, Jim and I will be in Nashville for the winter meeting. So maybe it's another opportunity that we could do something like that again during the winter meetings. But Jake Berger traded to Miami was the first breaking news that we had during the live stream about 20 minutes in. It surprised me because I just didn't know how other teams would covet Jake Berger, what they thought of Jake Berger, Jim. There's years of control. He's bashing home runs. But when you look at his swing profile and you look at the data, there are some red flags. But when he makes contact, the ball jumps off his bat and Miami desperately needs more power. They also acquired Josh Bell. And I like Jake Berger a lot more than Josh Bell. Uh, so I, I can understand where Miami's coming from, that they needed to add more offense. I think they'll get more out of Jake Berger than Josh Bell. But for the White Sox to move Jake Berger, what are they losing here? And how do you make as far as the tenure of Jake Berger? Because it was pretty bittersweet as we played that audio at the beginning part of the show with Berger leaving the White Sox, another former first-round pick, getting traded away by the White Sox. But Jake Berger's story is more than that. Yeah, it's a, you know, I was surprised by like, you know, maybe not surprised, but I, I noted the reaction of fans and how, like how upset they were. And, you know, when you look at the on-base percentage, like 275 OBP, that's really tough to make a living that way if you don't play spectacular defense or you don't hit like 40 plus homers and some combination of it. Like you probably need to have a position right now. Berger doesn't quite have a position. Like he, you know, I, I think he has improved in the infield to where like if he had like a, you know, on base percentage that started with a three with the power he has, like, yeah, you'd be fine playing him there. But since he doesn't, and since he can like have these really rough games, it's unclear exactly what his future is, but you know, he played a game with a, you know, a lot of joy. Like he had a, um, you know, respect for white Sox fans and the connection, uh, and a happiness that he liked being there. He could see like uh, a lot of personality in his play and when you see him leave and you see like the, uh, you know, motion he has, like, you know, it looks miserable being a white Sox right now. So the fact that he isn't, uh, makes you think like, man, you're trading away like a guy who wanted to be here. And like <laughs> how many people actually want to be here, I think is, you know, like maybe a, a thought that crosses people's mind because I mean, I, I think if you pay people enough, like they will want to be there and like it, you know, if success follows, like it's pretty quick to change that. But in the darkest moment, like, you know, he provided a lot of bright spots just with his resilience and with just some really massive homers, like, you know, exciting, uh, adrenaline charging homers that like make you want to, you know, overturn a car <laughs> just like, <laughs> just with, uh, you know, the, like it's gotta feel good to be that strong. Like that, that's kind of what, what goes through my mind when I, when I see a homer like that. Um, 
yeah, that, that's I think what's what stood out to me is just the the connection that he forged, even like in such a bad season, nobody's holding him responsible for that. So the White Sox acquired Jake Eater, which Eater is 24 years old. He's a left-handed pitcher from the Miami Marlins farm system. He was drafted out of Vanderbilt, so out of Jim's backyard. In AA this year, Eater in six games started, went 29 and two-thirds innings. He's got a 3.94 ERA. Looking at his strikeout to walk total, the good news, he is striking out batters at a higher than 30% clip. The concerning news, he's almost walking batters at a 13% clip. So this is going to be something we'll have to pay attention to as he joins the Birmingham Barons. Eater in his last start on July 29th, very good. Five and two-thirds innings, only allowed one hit, which was a home run. Two runs, one of them earned, only walked two batters, but struck out 10. And this is a report from Keith Law of The Athletic about Eater. Law wrote, Eater's returning from Tommy John surgery, his four-seamer, is 90 to 93 miles per hour, so his velocity is down. The slider is still a plus pitch. He doesn't have a feel for the changeup yet, and he missed two and a half months this year because of a broken left foot, and that may be impacting as far as his velocity and his ability to push off the rubber. So a couple of things to to watch with Jake Eater as he joins the Birmingham Barons. And with this type of scouting report, and obviously we have to take the time, Jim, in actually watching Jake Eater as he begins pitching for the Birmingham Barons. But it's enticing as far as the profile, but just like everyone else the White Sox have acquired before the deadline, I'm not penciling Jake Eater into the White Sox starting rotation on opening day. It sounds like there are some things that he still needs to work on, and the White Sox should still give him time to develop in A and not rush him. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, whenever I think of foot injuries, I think of, like, Kelvin Herrera, who just the White Sox uh, thought, like, yeah, he'll get past it, and really didn't happen. So I think you have to respect foot injuries and, and the kind of impact they have. I think the good news is he's past Tommy John surgery, and he's throwing five innings to start. Like, I'm not too worried about the command yet or the walk numbers yet, just because, you know, he, there's rust, there's, you know, the injury on top of an injury like unrelated but you have to make sure that they're not connected and it's uh you know a road back i was surprised you know to to see like um strong feelings about who won this trade one way or another because i think it's a pretty fair trade i think uh, in terms of value like if burger is what he is like a 275 or, or 280 obp guy who hits a lot of homers when he connects but like also might hit 200 or less than like it's hard to like count on that guy, but also like if you're, you know, have a top hundred prospect or like close to it, but has had Tommy John surgery, has a different issue, is dealing with velocity loss, hasn't gotten it back yet. Like that doesn't always come back or in a way that's reliable. So like there is risk on both sides. I also think with Berger that, uh, you know, given how irregular his development was between the two ruptured Achilles and the pandemic season costing him an opportunity to like have a normal minor league year and just kind of figuring it out as he goes along. Like it's remarkable, like how different he looks from month to month. Like he went from walking zero times in May to walking 11 times in July. Uh, yeah, I still have concerns about the hit tool, but like his, his patience fluctuates and he has a certain like ability to forget about terrible games or two terrible games in a row. And all of a sudden like really thrash mistakes. So like, I don't think he's a finished product yet either. So like, I don't really have confidence in either side of this deal. Like where I feel like the white Sox won when it got, you know, pulled one over on Kim Eng and then like, same thing. Like, I don't think 
you know, the Marlins needed power. Like they needed it in the worst way. And like, what if Eater doesn't come back? They have a lot of pitching prospects. Like maybe Eater's the guy they can let go if they feel like he's not sure they can get him all the way in like one more year of this. Like they might not be able to get even somebody like Jake Berger for him. So I can see like both of these teams trading their guy a year too early, or I could see them trading him right at the right moment before like value collapses and they're left with like a player to be named later. So I think it's a fascinating trade. The other trade, the White Sox traded Keenan Middleton to the New York Yankees because the Yankees loved themselves some White Sox relievers. And the White Sox got in return Juan Carella. And Carella is 21 years old. He's a right-handed pitcher. And in high A this year, he's made 16 starts, 83 and a third innings pitch. So he's going deep into his starts, which is impressive for that level. He's got a 3.67 ERA, striking out batters at 31% clip. Walking batters at just 9%. So that's pretty impressive and probably will be joining the Winston-Salem Dash. Fangraph's Eric Loggenhagen gives Corella a plus-plus grade on his slider. So a 70 grade on the slider, his best pitch. But fastball velocity has been an issue for Corella as he's been working between a couple of fastballs, a four-seamer, and a sinker. Again, he's just 21 years old. Uh, so it, this kind of seems like a lottery ticket, Jim, for the White Sox in exchange for Keenan Middleton, who he pitched well for the White Sox. He had a really rough July, but April, May, and June, he was impressive for the team for $800,000 or what ends up being a little more than $500,000 for the White Sox as the Yankees take on the rest of the contract. And we'll find out what Corella could bring to the White Sox. Maybe he can be someone that surprises. I like, you know, hearing from a guy or like hearing about a guy that he has like two fastballs and he has two breaking balls because like once in a while, like whenever there is like a pitcher who breaks out, like especially in the White Sox farm system, which we know about, like Christian Mena or you know Noah Schultz, like, and this will be kind of interesting because Everett Tiford used to be the guy who would deliver this information to a pitcher and, you know, try to get him to change his approach. And he's been hired by Auburn, was it, for a pitching yes. coach? Yes. Uh, so like, I'm curious who that person is now, but like, you know, maybe it's like Danny Farquhar or something, but like they would say like, well, I, we like your four seamer more than your two seamer. Why don't you just look at that or vice versa? Like we think your slider pairs well with your sinker. Let's see if that runs. Like given that he has like a plus slider or plus sweeper, and then like, you know, another way to spin a ball and two ways to throw a fastball. Like there are some permutations the White Sox can experiment with to see if there's one that gets him either onto a relief track or should he be able to find a third pitch, whether it's like better command of the more slider-like breaking ball as opposed to the sweeper or whether it's the changeup uh, coming into its own, then like maybe he can keep on the starter track. He certainly seems to have the endurance for a starter track and the ability to give some different looks over the course of an uh, outing. And he's you know, age appropriate for his level. Like he will need to be, um, well, he doesn't have to be protected from the rule five draft. I don't think he'd be likely to pick, be picked in the rule five draft, but he will be eligible for it. So that might be one case of like why the Yankees were willing to give him up because they didn't really have room for him on their 40 man roster and didn't think they were anytime soon. So they may as well, you know, get somebody they can use now. But I think he's pretty interesting for a, a prospect, especially one like where the White Sox need, starting pitching like he's a feasible project for a starter in a ball and if that's not working out it seems like based on the scouting reports that his sweeper would give him like a way to be a breaking ball first pitcher in the bullpen who might be able to find like a fastball that complements it 
Do not add him to the 40-man roster, White Sox. Do not. No one is taking Juan Corella yeah. in the Rule 5 draft next year or in the winter. Don't do it. They'll do it. I will not be happy about it, but don't do it. Uh, so the White Sox returning trades. We we talked about their areas of need. They needed help at catcher. They needed help at pitching. And that's where they addressed a lot of the returns. For catchers, you got Corey Lee from Houston in exchange for Kendall Graben. He's in AAA. Edgar Caro and Kai Bush. So Caro helping out on the catcher spot. AA, he's making some highlights already for Birmingham. Kai Bush not making highlights exactly with Birmingham in his first start, but maybe we'll get the jitters out and he'll be better in his next start with the Barons. And then you got Jake Eater. You got Nick Nestrini from the Los Angeles Dodgers at AA. So the Barons getting three starting pitchers to add to their mix. Uh, we already talked about Juan Corella. He'll help out the Winston-Salem Dash. And then you got Jordan Leisure, who is also part of that Dodgers return. Uh, he's been a closer in AAA for the Dodgers system. So we'll see what he can provide to Charlotte. Maybe we'll see him before the end of the season with the White Sox if they need more bullpen help. And then Luis Patino. <laughs> the White Sox purchased him for the Tampa Bay Rays. And this is a, another ex-top 100 prospect really struggling across all facets this year. But it is an interesting trade as you, I guess you could call it trade for cash considerations. I think it's worth the risk for the White Sox to go in this route because again, clearly they need more pitchers in Charlotte. The White Sox should be familiar with Luis Patino. They've seen him and he's got a reclamation project and he had a lot of hype at one time. So why not give him a shot? Maybe make some adjustments. Maybe pitches suddenly better within the White Sox org. At the very least, you can get maybe somebody that could help out on the bullpen, but this is someone that at one time, Jim, was thought to be a starter. Yeah, he's had some, uh, he had like a key injury, like an oblique strain at like a key point in his, yeah, on the cusp of sticking as a starter that set him back and just hasn't regained it since. Velocity's dropped like at least uh, a tick, maybe two. Seems like this past year they've uh, converted him to relief and have tried to get you know, see if he's any more valuable, like throwing a slider more than this fastball. And that doesn't really seem to be paying earlier turns. So he's kind of a mess right now, but the White Sox, like one of the few luxuries they have is a lot of innings and a lot of appearances for guys who are on this cusp. So like, unless you want to see like a whole lot of Brian Shaw, you know, just thanklessly taking the ball every day and just like looking miserable about it. Cause he just has that kind of demeanor. Uh, you you're better off like having just a a cast of thousands to try to you know take some of these appearances on because you know best case scenario like you find somebody who sticks for maybe next year or at least goes into spring training with like an inside track and a job uh worst case scenario like you have at least more people to cycle through kind of just like going through a uh, you know, cannon fodder to basically just get through the rest of the season. So the more bodies, the better in this regard, when you trade uh, six pitchers, um, you, nearly half of your, you know, active 26 man roster pitching staff. And uh, yeah, it's fine. Like, and, and, you know, certainly costs them nothing besides the cash considerations. And you know, it's, you always have to say cash considerations because like, you know, basically they bought them, but it's not good to talk about like buying humans. Yeah. So that's why you know, cash considerations is, is, you know, as awkward as it is and as euphemistic as it is, like we're better off sticking to that. 
Yeah, so that was the trade deadline for the Chicago White Sox, and that wraps up as far as this podcast episode. I would love to have the energy to talk about this series between the White Sox and Rangers. I do not think it's going to go well. The first game did not go well for the White Sox as Andrew Heaney struck out 11 batters in six innings. Jesse Schultz, he did a really good job for the White Sox going six innings, allowing just one run. He had a career high at six strikeouts, so that was really nice to see, and we'll probably see Max Scherzer start the Thursday game uh, against the Chicago White Sox, uh, which is going to be interesting and a little bit fascinating. Scherzer joining the Rangers. Justin Verlander joined the Houston Astros again, so that'll be kind of fun in the American League West. But, yeah, the the product on the field in Chicago, we're going to try to do our best, folks, as far as what is going on. But in future episodes, we may talk about other things around Major League Baseball that do not concern the Chicago White Sox, and this episode gives us an opportunity after the trade deadline to talk about the activities that were made. Uh, so if you want to know what happened in the games, definitely go to SoxMachine.com to read the recaps and the day after columns. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny. Like The way the White Sox have played since all these trades, like offense is still the problem. Like I keep waiting for the pitching staff to collapse yep. and like make a total mess of it, but like even in the worst moments, like... The game's within reach. It's just the offense still doesn't have anything. And, of course, like Cleveland, um, you know, they go 500 against a team that's selling all its pitching staff, and then they get no hit by Framber Velda. So a Maddox. We could have a whole episode of just, yeah, a Maddox, yeah. And, like, the Twins did nothing. So, I mean, like, that's, I think, to, you know, if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf and I'm, you know, if or whoever has like power of attorney there in terms of like making a decision about like what's going on with the front office, just like this is such a terrible division. Nobody wants it. Everybody is like just running in place mm-hmm. or just like, you know, stalling and seeing like if, you know, afraid to make a big uh, consequential move because it might not be worth it. And like the White Sox are like falling behind the Tigers who were trying to trade Eduardo Rodriguez, but couldn't like it's a, the division's a mess and it's embarrassing. And the fact that they can't get even in the third place in it is like, again, I, I just want to keep stressing that like the White Sox are behind the Tigers and the Tigers can't trade the pitcher they want to pitch like, or they, they want to trade like who's their best pitcher. Like this is, this is the, you know, it's a terrible division and the White Sox are fourth. That was my monologue on Monday's episode and just how sad it is that the White Sox yeah. can't take advantage of this terrible situation. <laughs> and instead, they have a 13.5% chance of having the number one pick in the 2024 Major yeah. League Baseball draft because they have the fourth worst record in baseball. Yeah, but, you know, given the, <laughs> the trade deadline activity, like nobody feels good about their team. Nope. The Twins didn't even make a move. <laughs> they stood pat. <laughs> and they're going to get crushed in the playoffs again. But eh, at least they got there. They can wave their division title banner at Target Field. Yay, we won the 2023 AL Central. Yay. Oh, sad things. At least everywhere else in baseball is very exciting. That's why we'll probably talk more about that in future episodes. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful Wednesday morning as we'll have the White Sox wake-up call for you to recap what happened on Wednesday night and preview Thursday's game. And we'll have Sox Machine Live on Thursday as we preview the upcoming weekend series as the White Sox do travel to Cleveland and we get back on track. 
But if you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. You can follow us on social media. We're at Socks Machine for Twitter, Instagram, and threads. You can follow me at Socks Machine underscore Josh and all three of those as well. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine, where we have monthly plans starting at $2, and our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and our new Socks Machine swag, including our new iHeart Wild Pitch offense that you can get at the Socks Machine store. We also have annual subscriptions. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.